Hello and welcome to Handball in Numbers, the Handballytics podcast. Today we have our second episode. My name is Mark Hawkins and as ever I'm joined by Julian Rooks. Hello Julian. Well, hi, Mike. Well, let's just go straightly into what well, what we're talking about today. The metric that we're focusing on is pace-adjusted statistics, which means that you adjust goals or other statistics for the number of possessions a game had or a team had in a season or a couple of games. You can do that either per possession, which are the percentages that you sometimes see, or you can uh, multiply it by 50, so you get about the number on, of an average game, which is what I usually do, and you see in all my all the stuff I put out. It makes the number easier to interpret. Uh, the game of the day we'll be focusing on was the match between uh, Norway and South Korea in a women's competition. Norway won by uh, 39 goals to 27, but there was a, a very interesting 70 attacks per team, which was by a long way the most or the highest pace we've seen in both uh, the men's and women's competition so far. And just to give a little bit of context in keeping in theme with today's episode, Kari Bratset was the top scorer for Norway with uh, 11 goals in the game. If we adjust that to the pace of the game, that would be 8.25 goals per 50 attacks. As a comparison, in the Netherlands-Japan game, their line player Meryl Freaks, she scored three goals from three shots in the game, but that translated to 5.5 goals per 50 attacks. So just to give a little insight into how the pace of the game there was impacting the, the individual goal-scoring statistics from those two players. And today we're joined by Uh, Neil Johnson, all the way from America. Neil uh, works in analytics with ESPN. Hello, Neil. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? I'm very good. Nice to have you here. And I think just, just to start off, if you could give us a little bit of uh, introduction of how you sort of got involved with and, and gained an interest in, in handball analysis and, and analytics. Yeah, so I guess handball first. Um, obviously, we don't have a big presence of handball here in the States. Um, it was something I played in middle school here. Um, so that would be kind of like your, your uh, you know, 11 to 13 uh, year, year old range um, and just fell in love with it then. And it's something that I'm, I'm based out of Ohio, uh, went to the Ohio State University here. Um, and then that's where there's obviously a strong club handball presence here, um, mainly manned by J.D. Orr. Um, so that's where I've gained interest in the past few years with that, with respect to the analytics side of things, because that's where I've been in the sports analytics space, primarily in basketball for the last like five to seven years or so. Obviously with handball, you know, the resources just in general aren't going to be there as they are for basketball and maybe for some other sports, but um, that's where at my time at ESPN, you kind of learn of like, like on the higher level, how certain analytical concepts translate between each sports, uh, which sports they, they benefit more in uh, or less in, depending on, you know, the, the dynamics of the sport, I guess. Um, and then that's where just with handball, I think there's a lot of, a lot of growth potential there um, to apply analytical concepts to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we talked a little bit in our preview episode about the explosion in um, analytics over the last 20 years or so with, you know, baseball and basketball and things like this. And in today's episode, we're looking a bit at pace adjusted statistics, which is, like I say, has a lot of correlation and similarities to the statistical route that basketball has taken. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that's where 
in general, in any sport, there are what I guess I and some other people just call as like counting statistics. So, you know, how many goals did you score? How many goals did you save? Stuff like that. Depending on how the pace of the game, that can kind of skew those numbers. So if you're only looking at the counting version of those numbers, you might get the wrong idea as to what actually happened. Um, so that's where, like, for me, I guess, like, I have the basketball history, right, instead of the handball history. Um, with basketball, in the, in the 60s and 70s, the pace was just off the charts. Final scores were in the, routinely in the 130s and 150s, right? And guys like Will Chamberlain and Oscar Robinson put up these, honestly, these records that um, only some of them have, have come down since then. And part of that's because the pace was so high. They had so many chances to score. That's why they scored so much. So that's where with handball, the pace can be important in terms of understanding, you know, how effective are the players? How much, how, you know, are their contributions um, as significant um, versus other games because, or not because of pace. So that's where if it's a fast paced game, like very simply, if it's a fast paced game and there's a lot of goals scored, goals are going to be like, less valuable than they were in a game where the pace is much slower. It's much more of a game of attrition and they're harder to come by. So pace just allows you to account for that. So for each episode, we are usually taking a closer look at one or today we pick two games to, to show the statistics that we're talking about. Um, so today pace, uh, where we've had the game between Norway and South Korea, which had well, 70 possessions per team and Norway scored 39, South Korea 27. And on the other side of the spectrum, we've had Spain against Sweden with just uh, 53 possessions, but still um, Sweden scored 31, Spain 24. So if you compare that in the end, the 31 goals of, of Sweden were more valuable or more efficient than, than um, the 39 of Norway per 50 possessions. Sweden scored 29.2 goals, Norway just 27.9 just as example for pretty much uh, what you were saying. Yeah, I mean, that's where um, it's typically in handball called the efficiency comes into play, right? The scoring efficiency. And that's where like the, the thing for me with pace that is fascinating is how teams can use it to their advantage or not. Um, typically, like this is something I wish would happen more in handball. It's something that happens here in university basketball a lot where The, the talent disparity between the teams is very vast. You know, you can have an extremely good team versus an extremely poor team. What the, what the underdogs in those situations do is they uh, try to limit the total amount of possessions to make the pace slower. And what that does is it minimizes the chance for the better team to assert themselves as the better team. Um, and effectively what happens is, you know, like if you boil the game down all the way down to just like one shot on both sides, that's like a 50-50 chance no matter who's on each side, right? So the closer you could get to that, the closer the game is going to be more random or, you know, there's a better chance for an upset. So that's where a thing with pace, like if you're a really good team, you're, you know, that's why in almost all sports, really good teams kind of get out and like, have a fast paced offense because they can, they're just so good. They can just score so fast, but it's also a benefit to them to keep the game as a higher tempo, because when you break it down on each possession, they're inherently better. So the more possessions they have a chance to assert themselves as being the better team, the better, you know, the better chance they have to prevent an upset. Yeah. I think that's exactly what we saw with, 
with Norway and South Korea today. I mean, Norway are reigning European champions from December and they're perennial yeah. finalists and champions. And, you know, 70 possessions in the game was, you know, it's, it's sort of about a great deal more than we've had from any other in the men's or women's. And I think in, in South Korea today, they had a, a team that was also likes to play quick, but willing to to run with them as well. But I think, you know, in the in the world cha- or in the European Championships in December, it was only until the final they played against France who were able to slow them down a little bit and bring them kind of a little bit back. Uh, but, you know, they have some of the best players in, in the world that, that we talked to a little bit yesterday with um, Jamal about the, um, you know, the speed and how the players are so intelligent in that fast arrival phase of the game. And Norway certainly has some of the best there. And like you say, it's the decision-making and the ability to assert their dominance in, in those areas are what's really makes a huge difference yeah 100 percent. and that's where also like there are teams there are instances of teams that are obviously superior that love to slow it down too so it's not like there's always exceptions to rules with a lot of this stuff but that's where like when you're trying to look at uh you know a whole tournament field of teams and you're trying to get an understanding of how everybody fits in that especially when you know, like this is the world championships and they're all coming from their, uh, you know, their continent tournaments um, or the federation tournaments, Uh, you know, they haven't played these other teams uh, recently. Right. So how do you interact? You know, how do you adjust for that? And that's where pace is like one of the biggest ways to adjust for that for teams that you don't have uh, a good recent record of them playing each other. You mentioned um, earlier that in handball, there's the efficiency, which is usually calculated by dividing goals by just the sum of turnovers, goals and missed shots. Um, For example, the German Bundesliga still does that. However, as I've seen at the Olympic Games, for example, they also count as an, well, the entire possession as attack, which means uh, missed shots after which the attacking team stays in possession don't count as extra possession. These uh, offensive rebounds also made a small difference for Sweden, for example, today. But, well, in handball, usually rebounds aren't recorded. Do you think that it should be a problem? It could certainly help. Having more information certainly helps uh, versus not having it. Because um, you could you could always choose not to use it if, you, you know, you decide your formula doesn't need it or not. Um, the thing that I think is most important, like what you kind of touched on there, is there's this concept of, well, there is the concept of what what do you consider a possession? Do you consider that just as when a team has had the ball until they like until they essentially give it back up? Or do you consider it just uh, an, an attempt to score? Those can be two slightly different things in the edge cases, right? A, a verbiage I've used over here in the States uh, for basketball is to talk about like, chances versus possessions um so on possessions you could have multiple chances to score and that's how we would talk about it when there's like an offensive rebound and the shot clock resets or something uh you know the rebounds would certainly help it certainly help when you're just trying to parse you know play-by-play information and you're not watching the match um but it's we could certainly work with what we have right now for sure but i mean at least from play-by-play you can calculate offensive rebounds I mean, just when no, the, yes, you can the assume, same team, yeah. So I, I that, agree. That's what I usually do, yeah. As like a developer, um, that's that's what I would be looking for to account for that without yeah. having it. And I think it's a statistic that's quite often used in basketball, the sort of notion of 
additional offenses or extra offenses that the team creates for itself from offensive rebounding, for example, you know, is a, you know, a specific skill essentially in basketball. I mean, a slightly different dynamic given the goalkeeper or lack of a goalkeeper involved uh, in basketball, you know, over the course of a game, it's not going to make such a big difference, but over the course of a season, do you see that in basketball that there are teams that are often getting an extra four or five offenses a game and teams that are almost losing offenses each game. A hundred percent. No, that's so like, obviously when everybody thinks of basketball right now, they think of three pointers, right? But there is plenty of teams that don't shoot uh, well above average from three. They just shoot average from three or even sometimes below average from three. And the way that they say competitive and they're still a good team is that they, they rebound offensively extremely well. That was something we actually saw in the NBA finals where the Milwaukee Bucks who just won it, they would have like six to 10 more attempts to score than the Suns would across the whole game. And they didn't have necessary, they had average, roughly average three point shooting, but you know, the Suns definitely were the better outside shooting team on paper. That is a game. That was an edge that they definitely exploited. And that's something that, I think is kind of underrated currently in basketball is everyone's so focused on three point shooting, which is certainly if you can do it and you have a team of guys that can do it, it's certainly the way to go. But if you don't, you need to have, you need to send more guys to the glass. You need to try to get more offensive rebounds because that gives you more, more possessions um, and makes up for your, your lack of efficiency. Now that could apply to handball. For me, that's where I would look at it with respect to kind of, you know, when I'm trying to understand, when I'm looking at a game on paper or I'm looking at the stats for a game after the fact, I think that would me help kind of contribute to like the variance or the randomness of a game. So if there was like an atypically large amount of like blocked shots that allowed a team to get rebounds or just misses that the, re- the goalie wasn't able to, you know, prevent the other team from collecting again, that's kind of like, unless you're watching the game and you like, you know, are certain that there was some you know, strategic effort behind this that contributed to that, which I, I think that would be pretty rare if the case is of, of that. Um, that would just preach to me that there was some randomness in that game that, you know, might have contributed to the outcome not being the expected outcome. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. So I think like you touched upon there, obviously, with, uh, you know, with a, a basketball hoop, the, if the ball doesn't go in, it's going to come back into play. Whereas off a goalkeeper, it often goes out of play. And, and that's that that luck, because I think we have another episode later down where we're going to talk to some uh, um, about goalkeeper statistics and with a goalkeeper coach. And it'll be interesting to hear their point of view, but it seems almost impossible to be able to teach a goalkeeper to be able to deflect it out of the court instead of back into the court. You know, that you're playing with such minute that it's almost impossible to coach yeah that would be like worrying about things on the margins for me like i would just worry about preventing the shot well we're already going towards the end but i've got one last uh interesting point on twitter you posted what i thought is very interesting with a, a win probability model which predicted well all the right winners for every game yesterday could you maybe explain briefly how you well make these predictions Yes. Yeah, so if if you're a statistician and you're listening to this, you it's 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 very it's a very rudimentary model. And so I'm not going to claim that it's necessarily something 
uh, extremely smart that it whipped up. It's more of just there, there aren't enough people in this space, in, you know, that have the statistics background to generate these types of things. So something like my model um, is, is, is pretty good. Um, and that's where like I, I entered it. There's the IHF has a prediction competition for had it for the world championship. Uh, so I entered the predictions into that and it, it was a close couple of games there at the end, but I did end up winning it all, which I was actually happily surprised with. Um, but essentially what I'm doing there is just doing a simple rating system to determine team rankings or team ratings. Um, so that's effectively just what is your, what is your average goal differential against the opponents you played and against, and then controlling for what your opponents is, uh, predicted goal differential is that that gives you that gives you the ratings of the teams and allows you to predict a, a goal differential obviously between them you can just kind of subtract the two uh so then to convert that to like a win probability number or you know a chance to win number i looked at i i, I just scraped a huge like 70 year sample of national team handball scores and what i did was i just charted the the goal differentials of all of them and fortunately for me, it looks normally distrib distributed or, you know, had a, like a pretty good bell curve. Uh, so what I then did was effectively just looked at applying it. Uh, this is getting kind of nerdy, I guess, but I applied a, 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 a cumulative density function to it using the average of that and the standard deviation of that to then convert that number into a percentage. Um, so what I found is that it works pretty well. Um, and I guess just in general, if anyone's listening to this and they're, they're doing, they're interested in doing analytics, doing predictions, stuff like that, I'd love to see it as well. And I'd certainly be open to talking, um, shop with them. And, uh, if I understood you correctly to come back to the theme of our episode today, you didn't adjust <clears throat> for pace, right? No. And that's where, so with the IHF prediction competition, they wanted, uh, final score predictions. So, And I didn't realize this until like 12 hours before the first match started. And I'm in the States. So that meant like a half an hour before I was going to bed, I needed to figure out what to do. <laughs> so what did I do? I, I just went off of, um, I, I basically, what I did was I combined the average final scores for both teams involved in the match. And then what I did was use the point differential to then say, you know, the point differential divided by two uh, plus that is the, you know, the final score of the team that's going to win. And then minus that's uh, the score of the team that's going to lose. So that's not adjusting for pace at all. And I was, that's where I was surprised. It, it wasn't bad. It actually, like I said, it, it won the freaking competition. Um, but uh, if I was to go into work uh, tomorrow and, uh, you know, introduce that to my coworkers, it, it would get laughed out of the room. Uh, so that's just to give you a sense as to like, that's not, that's not a really great way to do it. It's very, gluing macgyvering things together just to get something to work but yes in the future it'd be much it'd be much more effective um and it'd probably produce much better results if we were factoring in the pace of both teams because that's where you know for like for an example if you're you know the the best country in your your continent's federation and you're, you're playing in a bunch of your regional events you're just that pace of those games is probably going to be a lot different than it would be in your world championship games That would be a great way to improve this, that's for sure. All right. Thank you, Neil. Thanks. My pleasure, guys. Tomorrow, we're going to talk uh, with Jörg Witzelberger, well, the, the Bundesliga tactics expert, also a former Bundesliga player and now coach of HSG Constance. He's going to join us to talk about Germany against Argentina 
and we'll look at lineup statistics, the statistics that different players um, had together when they were on the field together. And uh, until then, follow us on Handpolitics on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or go to handpolitics.te to get, well, all the statistics you'll need about the Olympic Games. See you tomorrow. Bye.